It's time. John Gruden's our guest, head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. JT the Brick, great talking to you. Hope you're well, man. It's time. Well, you know how we want to play, JT. You know me probably better than anybody out there. It's time for the JT the Brick Show. We're going to play old school football. JT the Brick on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Can't wait to play in that stadium and get this party started. You got no idea. Here's your host, JT the Brick. Oh, I'm all fired up. Good to be back on Raider Nation Radio. JT here in Vegas. Thanks for everybody listening on the Raiders mobile app. We appreciate that. Shane Knighty will join us in a few moments. Part of the Vegas Golden Knights broadcast team is the Winter Classic in Tahoe with Saturday. I'll be up there. And this hour is brought to you by Remy Martin. Build your bar with Sparrow and Wolf with Remy Martin Quantro. Remy Martin wants to help you step up your cocktail game at home whether it be with friends or that quiet night with a loved one. So they teamed up with Sparrow and Wolf to help you master cocktail making like a pro. When you buy a Build Your Bar kit through Sparrow and Wolf, not only will you get new craft cocktail tools for your bar, you also get our favorite house-made mixers, garnishes, and full bottles featuring brands from Remy Quantro. Also included is a step-by-step Video hosted by Alyssa, the house mixologist from Sparrow and Wolf. Sparrow and Wolf is one of my favorite restaurants in town. It is outstanding. It will blow you away. We thank Remy and Sparrow and Wolf for this Remy Quantrill program as we kick off this hour. All right, I've been talking about Marcus Mariota. Do you put him on the move to get any type of compensation coming back? I say yes. Uh, listeners tweeting at me at JT the Brick are on the phones, 702-365-9200. Love Marcus Mariota. Love to see him stay. Raiders need defense, not a backup quarterback. So what do you want to do? You want to get to the playoffs and improve from 8-8? Eight and eight? Well, if you, get rid of, if you get rid of Marcus for anything and Derek Carr gets hurt, the season could be over. So Marcus is the ultimate, ultimate insurance policy for Derek Carr. And I don't think Derek, uh, Derek, this doesn't bother Derek Carr. Derek Carr is a lot stronger than people think mentally when everybody's fighting with him on other radio networks and going back and forth and getting into it on Derek Carr. Derek Carr is hitting golf balls, changing diapers. He's a man of his faith. He's lifting weights, and he's ready to roll. He's absolutely ready to roll. So I think Carr has another year with John Gruden. Does he really need Marcus Mariota in that quarterback room with him? Or would Derek Carr like to know that in the defensive linebacker room, there's a linebacker who's starting every game and getting the ball back for Derek Carr so Derek Carr can put up more points? It's hard to see. I mean, it is difficult to see because you got to take into account that John Gruden loves a great backup quarterback. John Gruden wants, I believe, clear competition at the quarterback position, even though Derek Carr really doesn't deserve any competition. He's the franchise quarterback. So a lot of people now are talking about the Raiders. They are trending again. And every day that I show up to work, every day that I show up to do Raiders radio or my national show, everybody's talking about Derek Carr. Pat McAfee's talking about him on Sirius XM. Everybody. How about Lewis Riddick from ESPN Monday Night Football? He's gone through it. He's tweeting like a madman today. Lewis Riddick, former Raider. One game, he's talking about Marcus Mariota. One game 2020 sample, but definitely intrigued by Marcus Mariota. This is where you wish 
You were around him all season. He looked very good against the Chargers when he had to play. He also went out and talked about some of these issues. How about this tweet from Lewis Riddick? Those of you crying about Carr and the need for a change of quarterback may want to spend some money and time on an NFL Game Pass subscription and focus on Las Vegas' defensive issues. Much better use of your time. And then Lewis Riddick, friend of the Raider Nation, tweets out, there should be zero talk of the Raiders trading Carr or even entertaining it, none. And Darren Waller is criminally underpaid. So for whatever reason, he is triggered today on all this Derek Carr talk. He is triggered on it, and Lewis Riddick is putting a bunch of this out here. So what do you think about this? And with Mariota, yeah, he looked great in half a game, three-quarters of a game. He looked fantastic. And a lot of Raider fans like what they saw with his legs outside the pocket. I like what I saw with Derek Carr this year. I like the way he ran a little bit more. Always suggest he should run more. He needs to. You saw the Super Bowl. You saw Patrick Mahomes. You see Lamar Jackson. You see Justin Herbert. You see Josh Allen. You have to find a way to get Derek Carr to run more. And, you know, 29, 30-year-old quarterback, Derek should be able to run for the next five years. He should be able to run for the next five years and pick up first downs. You see how easily Mahomes on third and 11, third and 12, kind of hangs out in the pocket for a few moments. No one's open. No one's guarding him. He just runs 11 yards out of bounds. If Derek can do that better this upcoming season, there's no stop to this offense. It's incredible. I'm excited. I'm all packed. I got my ski gear, my snow gear. I'm going to Lake Tahoe, one of my favorite places for the Winter Classic. Vegas Golden Knights taking on the Colorado Avalanche. Big game again tonight. Shane Knighty kind enough to join us from the Golden Knights broadcast team. Shane, good to talk to you this year. I hope you're doing well. How are you? I'm good, JT. It's been a while. Yeah, no, doing great. Uh, glad to watch some hockey. Looking forward to another matchup between these two teams, I'll tell you that. Tell me how great this matchup is, because those who believe that the Golden Knights in Vegas, the Vegas odds makers, that this team is the favorite to win the Cup, what have these battles been like? That one nothing shutout for Flower was amazing. It was, it was playoff hockey. To me, that's uh, you know exactly what you're looking at, is playoff hockey, two teams, you know, and then there's some key guys out. Obviously, Theodore is out for the Golden Knights. Colorado's been hit with it. They're missing, I think, seven guys. But that said, you know, you wouldn't know it. It was just good hockey. It was hard. It was, uh, you know, Colorado coming off. And they're going to continue to battle. I think these are the two. You know, everybody throws St. Louis in there. But, uh, you know, Colorado, to me, dynamic up front. Um, you know, they've got, you know, they've got those superstar players like McKinnon. He's one of a you know a handful of guys that can do special things himself. Um, the Golden Knights, you know, Marks. You can look at both these lineups, JT. They're they're deep. Uh, they're built for it. I like the size the Golden Knights have. Um, you think of in a series, can they wear down the the Avalanche? Or the, it's going to be no size, speed. Um, there's just so many pieces to this matchup that you got to love, and, and and it makes for good hockey. That's uh, that's why we saw a one nothing game. And right now, a huge edge is the way Mark Andre Fleury's playing. Yeah, why is Flower playing so great? We'll wait to see Robin Leonard come back here. But I heard on the broadcast and people talking around the league, as good as he's ever looked, and I said ever looked, with all those cups, is it is he in shape? Is it the off-season program? Why has he been so hot as of late, in your opinion? 
I think he's made some adjustments. Uh, I think uh, they've done a good job, goaltending coach uh, Mike Rosati, and him maybe talked in the offseason, and I think he's playing a little deeper uh, in his net, you know. And how do you sell that to, to a goaltender who's, you know, had a, had a career, a Hall of Fame career like Marc-Andre Fleury? Well, you make adjustments, which are probably hard to do, you know, at this point in your career, but then you see results. And then confidence builds from it. And now all of a sudden, we get Mark Andre Fleury playing terrific hockey. I, I think some subtle adjustments to his game, which is one thing g- great players do. Right, you, you continue to evolve. You don't just stand pat. This is working. You know, whether you talk about Sidney Crosby, they talked about you know how he wasn't happy with his shot or his backhand or his faceoffs. He takes turn. You don't work on the things you're already good at. You work on adjustments that can make you better. And I think that's what Fleury's been able to do, and, and confidence and competitive. This is a guy that wants the net. He lost it. He wants it back. Uh, you know, the internal competition. And you hope Leonard comes back whenever. And he's the guy who wants it because that just makes your team better overall. Shane Knight is our guest as we continue. Tell me about DeBoer and some of the decisions he has to make. Not now because the team's playing so well, but mixing and matching lines. You talked about the size of this team. When I turn on the TV and I see how big these players are, especially the forwards, is there? Uh, do you like the line changes we've seen so far? Do you like the chemistry of a certain line better than another? Uh, you know what I have. I think you know. You look at their top two lines, and, and those guys have played together. You got Stevenson, Stone, Patch, Ready. I dangerous just about every time they're on the ice. The Carlson, Smith, uh, Marcia, So line. Well, they've been together. There's chemistry. So now you're bringing in Cody Glass, who hasn't played a lot of hockey. Alex Tuck, and I like Keegan Colasar on that line. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of a little unknown, so you're still trying to figure this out. I think Cody Glass missed so much hockey, but I think he's going to be a great player in this league. Big, he's put on some size. You can see it now. He's getting confidence. He's getting touches. He's getting points. That's what offensive guys need to do. Alex Tuck's speed, just, you know, anybody who watches the game, is, you know, combine that, that speed with a, you know, six foot four, you know, frame, it's not, it's not normal. Um, and, and then Colasar is a strong guy. We know the fourth line, what they can do. Like Nick Waz, a guy that can play, you know, up and down your lineup. He's utility. He's responsible. Uh, I've liked what I've seen up front. I think, you know, you look at their bottom six, they're continuing to grow, especially that tuck Colasar glass line. The last two games, I've seen them take some real good strides in a positive direction. And defensively, um, they've had young kids step in. They've needed depth. Uh, you go back to that one game, they, you know, when Theodore went out, they're out with, without McNabb, Petrangelo, and Theodore. That's three of your top four yeah. D-men starting the year. And you're seeing Coughlin, Haig, White Cloud. These kids step in, step up, and, and, and it's perfect time. When you thought, talk about development pro, a process, no better way than just to throw them in and let them figure it out. And you can see their confidence, their comfort level grow each and every game. So I think Pete DeBoer's happy, and they knew they were going to need depth this year. There's going to be a lot of intangibles and, um, you know, you can't you can't predict what's going to happen, so you needed to rely on depth, and they've been able to do it. Uh, Shane Knight is our guest, part of the Vegas Golden Knights elite broadcast team, including Gary Lawless, friend of the show, who was on the other night and talked about the presentation that the team would make to the governor for the presentation to be considered for 20% capacity. I think it's a monster story because you have a forward-thinking owner who eventually, and I don't want you to go too deep, Shane, on what you think 
testing should be like, but whatever you're comfortable with, this is a market with the airport, the conventions, the arenas, the new football stadium. The ownership has to be forward-thinking to getting butts in the seats. Are you encouraged what you're hearing, not only in Vegas, but around the league? I am. And I know here they have worked on plans to maintain safety protocols, to maintain social distance. And I'll tell you, JT, I'm in that building. Dave and I are calling games whether they're on the ice or not, or, or whether we're staring at a monitor. Um, and it, it's such a, a massive area, and, and you know, I think that there is a way to do 20% safely, effectively, um, so that you can get a bit of that atmosphere. I know the players certainly like it back. I would. Um, you know, it's great to hear Dave's voice, but it's it's very loud when uh, when it's just him and I sitting down there in our booth. Um, so. Um, I think there's ways to do this. Obviously, uh, you know, safety's number one. And I think, you know, as you mentioned, uh, Bill Foley, and I, and I know the whole ticketing and President Kerry Bubbles, they've, they've gone through everything, every scenario to make sure that they have a plan in place and the best scenario to make everyone safe and enjoy hockey. So when I was anchoring all the Raider pre- and post-games, so that's 16 games I was in the that's building, right. home and away, and the away games, I really had a tough time I couldn't believe no one in the building and the game being called off a monitor and you're looking at this empty stadium for football yeah. and you're looking at this empty ice or whatever they have down there. You really don't want to get used to it. How do you feel mentally after a broadcast when you leave and go to your car and it's an absolute ghost town, the team's out of town, you're calling a game and then you get to your car and it's not the vibrant strip and what you're used to after a game where you got 30 restaurant options and you got some buddies in town and former players and it's Vegas. Okay, well, I'll start with the only and the one and only positive. No traffic. I'm out of there quickly. <laughs> that, 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 there, there's the only positive. Everything else, for those reasons you said, is a negative. It's the electricity that, you know, this city provides and how passionate the fans are and you know, especially after when everybody's in a good mood and everything's, but yeah, there's there's so much you miss to it, um, and it is strange. Uh, I can't imagine that that stadium's an even bigger space uh, than what we're in, and it, and it feels eerie. So it's uh, you know it's kind of gotten used to it because you know for the bubble that's how we called all the games for playoffs was uh, that away. It's been really nice to at least see them live, which we're going to see again tonight before they head out on the road, um, but. I think at the same time, there's the excitement, you know, the pipe we try to, we've got to make it as exciting as you can, whether we're calling off a TV or not, even without the fans, you got to try and provide that energy. And uh, I think maybe because it is unique and I love the game so much, it's been my life that uh, I'm just excited to have hockey and grateful that we have these games to call and and that people can watch wherever they be at home uh, so they can enjoy it. Shane Knighty, Shane, last one. It wouldn't be a full-blown interview if I, if I didn't ask you to share a story as you being a young boy playing outside as we preview the Winter Classic and the snow coming down. You're on a sheet of ice outside because every player now is saying they can't wait to play in the Winter Classic outside in Tahoe and experience that feeling when they were young boys playing growing up as kids. Absolutely. I You know, outdoor rinks alike. Uh, anytime, just freezing cold, especially where I was from in Manitoba in Canada. It's, uh, you know, there's this, this special feeling to being outside and playing hockey. And if we weren't, you know, on the ice, we were playing, you know, on the street, shoveling snow aside and playing with a, you know, a tennis ball. 
Um, there, there's just something special about it. You know, before we moved here, when I was in Manitoba, I remember my son. It was one of the most unique. And, he, and we're talking, you can skate on anything. I know there's you, know, you got TikTok and Instagram, and they show videos of people skating when it, you know there's a, a freeze on the road. We in there, we had a ditch that it got warm one day and then froze back up. So we had a ditch rink that my son, when he was five or six, him and his buddies skated on for a week. They thought it was the best thing ever. Um, anywhere you can make ice and be outdoors, there's always a special feeling of. Uh, putting on the skates, grabbing your glove, your sticks, and having a little bit of fun. Awesome. Good to talk to you again, Shane. Uh, Be good. I'll see you soon whenever they allow us, and I'll be up in the press box for a couple of these upcoming games in Vegas when the time is right. Thanks so much for your time. Oh, JT, always a pleasure, and yes, I look forward to the time when uh, when we see you and, and everyone else at games. Stay safe. You got it. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate that. Shane Knighty, great, great frequent guest to the show, along with Gary Lawless and Dan Duva, and the Golden Knights here. For everybody listening, I'm in. I'm in on this team. This is a Stanley Cup run. We all got to be in on it, no doubt. And if you're listening outside the market and you're not a Golden Knights fan, we'll try to keep you moving and entertained. We're Vegas. We're Vegas first. We talk Vegas, Golden Knights, and the Raiders. It's pretty much all I do for, for two hours is talk Raiders and Vegas, Golden Knights. And if some of the other local teams wake up, We'll get them into the show, too. Uh, We have an Eagles insider, Darius Jackson. Could be breaking news on Carson Wentz being traded, which will be a monster NFL story next. Wentz in the gun. Scott to his left. Wentz takes the snap. He's looking. He fires. Complete. Touchdown. Eagles win. Zuckers. That's why right there. That's why Doug called that timeout. Doug wanted to reset, see what they're doing, spread them out, get the football to all reliable. Zuckers, game over. Eagles come from a two-touchdown deficit, and for the time being, they have saved the season. Oh, Eagles Radio, youpicktrade.com. Shout out to my buddy, Eric, who's listening in Guadalajara. Cool as that, JT, back with you as we continue on Raider Nation Radio. There is a lot of news pending with the Eagles and especially Carson Wentz and his future. Eagles insider Darius Jackson joins us. Also, a big part of the Believe podcasting network that I'm on. Uh, Darius, thanks for joining us. And is Wentz gone? Is it all but a done deal? First and foremost, thanks for having me on. And to answer that question at this point in time, I believe so. I believe that the Carson Wentz relationship with the Philadelphia Eagles is over. Um, It's been tainted. Uh, I believe it personally got tainted when Foles won that Super Bowl because I think all eyes went on Carson Wentz. But just the events that occurred, um, just continuing to miss back-to-back seasons afterwards, not being available in the playoffs, then following up the Jalen Hurts pick, it looks like it's over, especially with how the 2020 season ended. Darius Jackson joins us. Darius, it's such a big, such a massive contract. So the Eagles would probably like to get the contract off the books. But then when you look at a team like Indianapolis or Chicago taking on a contract like that, and he's completely healthy, so by the time the season starts, he'll be at 100%. What do you think is the best market and the best landing spot for Wentz? Um, 
you could easily it's easy to say the Frank Wright system just be, just because of him being the offensive coordinator and Carson Wentz's best season in 2017. Um, it's very very easy to say that. However, I'm also intrigued by the Matt Nagy system as well. Um, very similar to what they ran with Doug Peterson in Philadelphia. Just we all they all came from the Andy Reid coaching tree. I believe John DeFilippo is also with that Bears staff, which John DeFilippo worked with Carson Wentz as his quarterback coach in 2017. So both very attractive destinations. Um, I believe if the Bears want Wentz, they should uh, be able to bring back Allen Robinson if they do want Wentz just because Allen Robinson is just just Mm -hmm. the number one receiver and that's someone key to have. Whereas for the Colts roster, it's, it's set to go. It looks like it's set and ready to go. Maybe they're also needing a number one wide receiver. Heck, if they could even go after Allen Robinson, if they if he hits free agency as well, you could talk about, bam, a great pairing right then and there. But um, at the end of the day, it's, it's going to see which team is going to give Harry Roseman and the Philadelphia Eagles the best offer. Darius Jackson joins us, Eagles insider. See, what, what's sad for Carson Wentz is he was in an MVP season when he got hurt. I don't think the Eagles, without that great start that Carson gave them, they even get to the Super Bowl, even though Nick Foles won it with the Philly special. Now Peterson's gone, Foles is gone, Wentz ended up being gone. That, that's too quick. Tell me about this, this team. How could this implode so quickly? You had the coach, the quarterback... The fans were all locked in in a matter of a few short years after beating Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. It almost feels like a rebuild. Ain't that something, right? And, and here's Tom Brady once again winning another Super Bowl while the Eagles are hands down one of the worst football teams in the league just from three years ago. But um, that, that is a great question there, and that's something where I, I truly evaluated just to see how all other organizations run after they win their title. And I like to sort of compare what the Eagles did with the Seattle Seahawks, where um, they latched on. In my opinion, I think that they latched on to a lot of players, the Zach Ertz, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, Jason Kelsey, Lane Johnson. There's a lot of contracts that we dished out to to key contributors in that Super Bowl run. It wasn't just a quarterback thing. It was just a whole team itself where uh, we built such a tight relationship. And I go back to Seattle, like how I say, because they – latched on to Cam Chancellor, uh, everybody with the Legion of Boom, Marshawn Lynch, all those kind of guys. But the reality is this. The NFL, it's a brutal game. They're not at their peak as they were in 2017. The years are going to go by. Guys are going to get banged up. And as you know, everybody knows the Philadelphia Eagles are now one of the most banged-up rosters and older rosters out there in the NFL. So I think that just the reality of the game caught up to the Eagles. I always like to try to see how teams don't copy where the Patriots formula was back when they had Tom Brady, where, oh, you have a quarterback, give him an offensive line, and everybody else is just recyclable. It seems like the Patriots always seem to recycle their players year in and year out, which is what kept them so relevant for so long. And this, this is the modern-day NFL. Obviously, Tom Brady is a key factor in that aspect. And we were thinking, you have a quarterback in Carson Wentz, you have a Super Bowl-winning head coach in Doug Peterson, and at the time where everybody was thinking a top general manager in Howie Roseman, that, that's the three key factors that you want in your organization. A quarterback, mm-hmm. a head coach, and a GM. We thought we had that, but unfortunately it just seems like the power control that's happening with the front office, Jeffrey Lurie as well. It seems like just more drama was dishing out. 
And the problem, and, and here's the problem that scares me, is that our Super Bowl winning defensive coordinator, Jim Schwartz, and head coach, Doug Peterson, they're both satisfied that they're not coming back with the Eagles. And these are guys that want it for us. So, in my opinion, I think it's now starting to become sort of a, a, a power struggle going on with that front office and the relationship yeah. that we have with everybody else. Darius Jackson's Eagles insider as we wrap it up. So for Wentz moving on, uh, when you look at Jalen Hurts, my son goes to Oklahoma. He's a sophomore. I saw Jalen play there, saw him play at Alabama. I love him. He's got to develop into a quarterback, a passing, a drop-back pocket passer. We know how much he can run. If Carson Wentz, and we wanted to have you on to talk about his potential, spot and I think it'll be Indianapolis like you are the Eagle fans going to give this kid a break or are they going to run him out of town like they run like to run people out of town you got Jalen Hurts there leave the kid alone let him develop he the guy deadlifts all this weight he squats he he's the ultimate competitor he's a leader in the locker room are the Eagle fans going to give this kid a break or are they going to be tough on him if he throws a couple picks It's, it's, it's almost like asking if the sky is blue. Of course, of course, the Eagle fans yes. will be hovering over Jalen Hurts. Um, Carson Wentz still has a massive following with the fan base alone. So the fan base, they're already going to have a side eye towards uh, Jalen Hurts. And, and God bless the kid. I mean, I think that he stands out just from his character alone and his leadership, the way he handled the benching when he got benched for Tua back in Alabama, then was able to transition to Oklahoma. And then when we, he got drafted here in Philadelphia, obviously was not a welcoming draft pick and the way he was able to just keep his character poised, stepped into a, uh, stepped into a dumpster fire of a 3-8-1 football team and still played well the last four games. I think that Jalen Hurts has, uh, has, a strong, um, has a strong head on his shoulders. I think that he'll be able to progress and develop into a passer. Uh, I think we should really see how he was able to progress in that Lincoln-Riley system. Lincoln-Riley really got most of his potential out of him, and you can see where he's able to continue to develop and grow, making plays in the NFL as well, from just from those four games. I'm very excited, but again, this is a fan base that, look, this is a fan base that gave Donovan McNabb a hard time for not winning in the NFC Championship game. Yes. Okay? <laughs> we're, we're going to the NFC Championship game with McNabb, and fans still wanted him out of there because he wasn't winning it for us. So, I mean, of course, they're going to give Jalen Hurts a hard time if he's not making an immediate impact. Darius, good that we can connect. This is a big story on Carson Wentz, and something's going to happen here pretty quickly. Thanks for the time. Really appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. You got it. Darius Jackson, Eagles insider. Also does some podcasting on the same podcasting that I'm on, and he's had good information on this. And today, you know, from Adam Schefter to Stephen A. Smith this morning, everybody about watching, they're talking about the Carson Wentz deal getting done, the potential trade happening any day, any day with this quarterback carousel. So if it's going to happen, it's going to happen, and then we're going to see you know, you always hear about the dominoes dropping. Once Carson Wentz goes, if he goes to Indianapolis, then what happens with Jacoby Brissett? Then what happens with Mitchell Trubisky in Chicago? And remember, Indianapolis and Chicago, no doubt, are interested in Derek Carr. I don't believe that Derek Carr is available in a trade unless it was Deshaun Watson. And I don't believe that's the case either. Either, But, hey, we're running a talk show. we got to cover what's in the news. 
But I will tell you this much. When it comes to this entire story, all these teams are interested in Derek Carr because they know if Indianapolis, if Carr went there, he would win. If Carr went to Chicago, they'd be a better team than Mitchell Trubisky. So I would hope that Derek Carr thinks it's flattering, even though he's probably not going anywhere. When you're a good quarterback in this league, you're involved in some rumors. Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers are involved in rumors. Deshaun Watson is involved in the biggest rumor. So everybody, everybody understands that's part of the program. When you're a bad quarterback and you're below average, you're not involved with any rumors. You're talked about being cut. When you're a very good quarterback in the offseason, you have to deal with rumors. And Derek Carr has been dealing with rumors since he was in Oakland and before he came here to Vegas. That's part of him being Derek Carr. Good to hear from Chris in West Oakland checking in. Diehard Raider Nation. Yeah, and I also got a Draymond Green comment, but real quick, yeah, you're right. Listen, every year we go through this because it, it comes with the territory when you're the quarterback, but Derek Carr's not going anywhere, especially the longer it goes in the offseason. Gruden's missed the playoffs three years in a row now after, you know, starting with this t- – four years now. Um, you're not going to go get another quarterback, have to learn Gruden's system all over again. And as far as J.J. Watt and Sherman, I heard the opening monologue, J.T., look, I love J.J. Watt, but this isn't the J.J. Watt of four or five years ago. The last thing the Raiders need is to go out and overpay for a guy that in his last four and a half seasons, J.T., he's missed 32 games. That's the equivalent of two full seasons. Guys don't get healthier as they get older. I love J.J. Watt, but we don't need to go oversign for an overpay for another veteran only to watch him be available half the time if at that. Like I said, I don't like to predict injuries, J.T., but it's been my experience over the years that guys get in their 30s when they have injury problems. They don't suddenly find the youth and get healthier. It goes the other way, and they miss more games. As far as Draymond Green goes, listen, I, I agree with what he said last night. Grad Draymond does, isn't always the most articulate the way he says it. He was right about James Harden dogging it, but he's also right about how teams don't get you know, scorned the way players act that way. And he's a 1,000% right, and it's the integrity of the game, JT. And the commissioner of the NBA's got a huge problem from these players that want to scratch and load management when they're healthy. I'll give you an example. Last night, the Warriors are in a dogfight, JT. What if I'm a fan of another team and the Warriors make the playoffs by one game because the Cleveland Cavaliers didn't play their best player last night? It's about the integrity of the game, and the league is not a better place when teams' best players are sitting in street clothes even though they are healthy. It's a bad look, it's bad for the integrity, and it has nothing to do with professional sports, which is supposed to be the goal to win every single time you set foot on the court of the field. Thank you, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, appreciate that. I, you know, I don't like when players who get paid any amount of money and our professionals don't play when healthy. That's it. Put it on a T-shirt. S- simplify it. When you get paid to be a professional... Unless you're getting traded in 24 hours, you play. That's it. The the trade deadline's March 25th. It's February 16th. Andre Drummond could sit out here for a a month. He could sit for a month, in theory. Blake Griffin, it's not fair to the team. It's not fair to the fans. Remember, in my priority, the way I run this show, the priority is the fan. The next priority is either the player or the owner. And then depending on what's happening... I look at each individual situation and form my own opinion. SalmonAshLaw.com. SalmonAshLaw.com. 
because you deserve what's right. The winner of the 63rd running of the Daytona 500 is indeed Michael McDowell. They can go ahead and celebrate now. It will be a victory by mere inches. McDowell wins the Daytona 500. MRN on the call. JT back with you. You know I love NASCAR. NASCAR's coming to Vegas here in a few weeks. I'll be out there. I'm heading up to the Winter Classic in Tahoe this week. I love going to live sporting events. And Daniel Trotter, kind enough to join us in the daylight hours. I usually talk to her at night. My teammate on SiriusXM, Danielle, NASCAR and Fox went through with the broadcast on Sunday Instead of moving it to President's Day Monday, I didn't like that. I know there's been a lot of feedback on that topic. What's your opinion? Yeah, I mean, it got re restarted when we had a five-hour, 40-minute rain delay. Um, so we went back racing about 9 p.m., 9.30 p.m. Eastern time, ended just after midnight. Um, and, yeah, I think they're catching some grief over it. Why not run it on a Monday? NASCAR officials came on. Um, our channel Monday and kind of explained some of that. And you're right. It's in conjunction with the TV partners and Fox carries the first half of the year. NBC carries the second half. Um, and so they worked with Fox. And I think, you know, this isn't the first time it's rained in the Daytona 500. We did this last year, sadly. Um, and there's been experience with it over the years. And I think what a lot of the trends in market research and rating stuff showed is that as many eyeballs, like people simply just don't watch it as much on Monday. The ratings aren't as good. Yeah. Um, if they can yeah. run it on a Sunday, even slightly past the primetime window, they felt like they had a better shot at more eyeballs on the Daytona 500. So I think they said it wasn't the only, that's not the only factor, um, but they said, you know, it is, it is a big factor. Yeah, I, I would be, I would agree with that. I'd get it in any time on Sunday, especially with no NFL and the NBA was a non-factor, and golf was at Pebble Beach. So I, I understand why they stuck to it, but after two, three hours of the delay, when Fox was going to some replays of the duels, the making of Days of Thunder, I thought it got to the point where it was like, okay, if it's not coming back here in a half an hour, let's just move it to holiday on a Monday, because I think a lot of people would have tuned in on President's Day, especially during a pandemic, but I'm happy we're talking about it. I think it's an important issue for the sport going forward. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, the one thing that we haven't figured out how to outrace is rain. So as long as yeah. you're an outdoor sport, I get very envious of the NBA because rain, shine, or snowstorm, they are tipping, right? And two and a half later, two and a half hours later, you're always going to have a winner and you're always going to have a loser. And it's just simply not the case. It's funny, my husband's been in racing his whole life. He was a driver. He's an owner. Um, in the sport and he grew up I mean he's been at every Daytona 500 for you know 30 years and he's like I don't know what it is growing up like we just didn't have a lot of rain outs I don't remember it raining a lot on the 500 I'm not sure what it is as of late but gosh NASCAR can't catch a break I mean the rain we ended the race on a Monday we branded on a Monday last year we had to um, this year it you know ran into the wee hours of the morning we just can't catch a break and you know what the other thing too JT and you know this is that when it rains, just because it stops doesn't mean we go back racing. It takes hours to dry the track. And so there was just these stray pop-ups. It wasn't bad. And then they'd dry it. And then it would sprinkle. And then they would dry it. And then it would rain again. 
So they were chasing this thing, I mean, all day long. Daniel Trotter's our guest, NASCAR insider. So before we get out to this West Coast swing, the road course races, I don't know if I'm going to like it or not. I, I saw Daytona and what we saw originally the first uh, part of Speed Weeks. I was interested in a finish where there was a spin out. Now the road course, not only at Daytona, but going forward on some of these other tracks. What excites you about that? Yeah, well, you mentioned the rain a moment ago and how they replayed a lot of the races. One of the races they replayed was the Clash from a week ago, which is just an exhibition race. It's for just for fun. Um, and they ran it on the Daytona road course. But not everybody is a part, part of that race. Only like 21 cars ran that race. You have to win a pole or there's different qualifications to get in. But it's really for the big stars. So now all 40 cars are going to be on the road course this Sunday. And it pays points. It's for real. Um so it'll be interesting to see, but it was wild. Like Chase Elliott, our defending champ, took out his best friend, Ryan Blaney, going to the finish on the road course. And they and just not only took Blaney out, but took himself out. And like third place Kyle Busch, where the hell did he come from? No one saw Kyle coming. And he cruises through, comes around the final turn on the road course and wins it. And you're just like, what? How did that happen? Like this is why NASCAR added – Seven road courses this year, JT. It's just something unlike anything we've ever seen. Drivers were begging, give us different tracks. Give us different tracks. We want to go somewhere different. And road coursing is really in road course racing is really in vogue right now. Um, it's not like, you know, just turn left all the time anymore. And this road course will be the first points-paying race. The drivers also ask for a different package in the car. So they're estimating speeds were up from last year to this year on the road course, like 18 miles per hour. So... These guys are going to be going a hell of a lot faster. They're going to have to get on the brakes a lot sooner. The action's going to be amazing. Um, I really can't wait to see it. And, yeah, then we go out west, back to Phoenix, where we crowned a champ in November. Vegas, which is just an incredible facility um, and always a lot of fun. So, yeah, we're getting things kicked off in style, but I'm excited for the road course in Daytona this weekend. Daniel Trot is our guest. She joins us throughout the year. Great NASCAR insider, my teammate also on Sirius XM. Let's jump in and talk about the way the race ended. I can't believe Joey Logano handled it the way he did. He had that race won. He was in first to get wrecked from behind with this bump drafting. If you get hit from behind, I could see being caught in a wreck if you're side by side or if you're three or four cars back. What a tough way to lose a Daytona 500, and he was all class afterwards. Yeah, he really was. Oh, gosh, it's it's so hard. I mean, you're making split-second decisions at 200 miles per hour and having the world judge you, you know, in Monday morning quarterback. Oh, you should have done this. You should have done that. His teammates behind him, Brad Keselowski, who's never won a Daytona 500 and wanted it so bad. Joey was going for his second and you're like, okay, these are two teammates. Like, how is this going to work out? Because neither one is going to give. I don't blame either of them. Joey was doing what he had to do. He came down. He made a block on Brad because if he didn't, he was going to lose the weight race and Brad was going to win. And Brad dove down to make a move because he was trying to win it over Joey. I don't think they were both fighting over the same real estate. It's the last lap of the Daytona 500. Like, there are no rules. You know, I'm going to get upset if we start to see teammates just let each other go by. You know, that's not that's not racing. Um, racing is going for it. And even if that means wrecking out your teammates to do it, you go for the win. It's the, it's our Super Bowl. It's the biggest race of the year. 
Brad's won every crown jewel in our sport, including a championship. He's never won the Daytona 500, and he saw it like a couple hundred feet away. How do you blame the guy for putting a dive bomb move on Joey and going for it? Like, he had to. And Joey did the right thing by putting on the block um, because yeah. that was, he thought his best chance to win it. So you can't blame their guy in that situation. Well, you would have been proud of me. I called it. I was on the air live Sunday night because it <laughs> fell in my window on out late. And with four laps to go, four laps to go, I said, you know, just single, all those cards in a single pack. I, I said, someone, whoever's going to win this race is going to be behind the wreck because I figured someone was going to challenge Joey. Denny Hamlin, by the way, won stage one and stage two. Can you walk me through why he pitted? I remember looking up as I was hosting my show and seeing him pit and come down pit road, then come back, and he's 11 or 12, and he couldn't get back up again. Looked like he had the fastest car all day. How come Hamlin couldn't contend at the end? Oh, heartbreak for Denny Hamlin, trying to go for three straight Daytona 500s, which is freaking unbelievable, and no one's ever done it. And you're right, he had the car, and he was in position, and the laps are ticking down like 20 to go, and you just simply need fuel, right, and tires. Um, So everybody had to come in. So it was just a cycle of, final pit stop and the Fords came in the Fords. There's a lot of Fords. There's a good decent size of Chevys. Like all the manufacturers, that's what they do now. Like all the Ford guys will run together. All the Chevys, you know, back in the old days, you just went with whoever was fast. Now the manufacturers Ford, Chevy and Toyota, they all want their drivers to stick together, run in a pack, increase the odds of you and your manufacturer winning. So the Fords pit first, the Chevys pit second, and we're like, where are the Toyotas? Where are the Toyotas? And the Toyotas, there's, like, so few of them anyway, and a few had damage. So then Denny comes in and pits with, like, three other Toyotas. He had such a fast pit stop, he gets back out on the track. His teammates are seconds behind him, and he couldn't catch up to the Forge or the Chevy, so he lost the pack. And you just simply can't win Daytona unless you're a part of that major pack, right? That draft, that air, getting behind somebody is what launches you and gives you that speed. You cannot do it alone. So he comes out, and he's, like, way back there, and he couldn't catch the pack, and he had no help. Oh, it was devastating for Denny Hamlin. He's like, I got penalized, you know, or I didn't win the race because I was too good. Like, we came in and we were too fast. Go figure. Danielle Trotter, as we wrap it up. So I wanted to, I talked to Steve Phelps. We had a really nice conversation on the air before the president of NASCAR, and I, I really wanted to hear from him because I think he's forward-thinking on getting fans. So there's 30,000 fans at Daytona. It rains. There's a long delay. Obviously, some fans left, but it looked like a nice crowd. You mentioned uh, Fontana when we were talking in Texan that Fontana is now off in Los Angeles outside L.A. because of the COVID numbers there before you get out to Vegas where I am, and Vegas is trying to get more fans there too. What do you sense is going to happen in your production meetings on seeing more and more fans as the calendar changes from month to month? Yeah, I mean, it's so hard to forecast, JT. I know that, and, you know, what makes it so difficult too is we're going from, as you said, you know, different states all across the country, all with their own individual guidelines, all with their own trends on if local numbers are up or down. Um, You know, some states have welcomed us with open arms and said you can have, you know, several thousand fans and some haven't. And it's so hard. I I don't know how to predict or forecast how this is going to play out. I know that NASCAR is just desperately trying to keep fans in the grandstands whenever possible i know 
the fans want to be there. The drivers want them there. Like, you have to remember, it costs $20 million to run one car for the year in the top series. Those sponsors pay those bills. I've heard sponsors, like, pulling out of deals at the last minute because fans, you know, they couldn't guarantee fans would be at every race, and they want their product on the side of the car. They want those fans there. They want those eyeballs on their product. So, luckily, a ton of sponsors have not done that. They have not pulled out. That's a very rare scenario, and it's great they're sticking by these teams. But, like, it affects advertising. We're seeing it in stick and ball everywhere. There was less Super Bowl commercials. The commercials themselves were shorter because advertisers are spending less because there's less eyeballs. There's less butts in the seats, right? And so it can have, like, a crippling effect, I think, a trickle-down effect in all sports. So, you got to get them back as quickly as possible. We all want them to be there. Um, it's crucial in our sport, too, to keep the money coming in for these teams to operate. So it's impossible to predict, JT. I hope, you know, we all get vaccinated or however it works out and the world gets back to normal somehow because we certainly miss them there. And even if there's only 30,000, you know, you just you hope that we can get as many in there safely as possible. Uh, Danielle, finally, Michael McDowell wins after 300 and 58 cup starts. What I don't understand is how he was able to keep his ride. How was he able to race that long without winning? Everybody's happy that he won. He was in the right place. He finished. There was chaos going on around him. But he's raced his whole career with chaos all around him. (laughs) How has he never shot up to the top and won a race? How is that humanly possible? I still don't get it. That's so funny. What a great question. I feel like that's some that's an angle of this that we need to maybe re-examine. Yeah. I love that. Um, I would say that there's a lot of racers that go out there, and every weekend there's 40 cars and there's one winner, right? And so we know that the big teams, the Hendricks and the Stuart Haas Racings and the Penske's, like they're the strong guys. They gobble up a lot of the wins. Then you have guys that are like mid-pack, like Michael McDowell, that like have a great shot on a Sunday at a Daytona or Talladega, but like they just on the speed week to week. Um, and then you have the, the teams with even less resources than that, that don't have a prayer to probably win. Um, you know, they're running way back with just old cars, less money, less good equipment, like back marker teams. So on any given day, I'd say only half the field, maybe 15, 20 drivers can win anyway. So it doesn't surprise me that he's like a mid-pack team and never gotten it done because like his team just isn't known to be perennial winners. Um, their best shot, and they'll tell you this themselves, is Talladega and Daytona, the two super speedways where anybody can win it. So it doesn't surprise me that he went 0 for 357 because he's just never been in a top-tier ride. Um it's funny, like when Trevor Bain, the last Cinderella story that happened in our sport, and I think Michael certainly fits that bill, was 2011, 10 years ago. Trevor Bain won it. Um, Michael McDowell was not in a car at that time. He was driving Trevor Bain's motor coach. Um, this is a young, humble man that came from really nothing. And despite all the odds, won in NASCAR, which is really hard to do. He's never had great equipment. He hasn't always had a solid ride. And he stuck with it. You know, he would get in not great equipment and he'd ride in the back just waiting for his time. And after all these years, like he finally got it. I I think it's a story, you know, it's really a story of never give up. And he's like, I kept telling my kids, if you live your life the right way, you do the right things, you stick with it, you don't give up, you hang in there, eventually your day will come. And he's like, I was running out of excuses to tell my kids like why I hadn't made it. And now I did. So I don't know. I think it's, it's 
pretty incredible, yeah, that he's kept his ride, but he hasn't always been with a winning team. Um, and he really stuck it out, and there's no give up in that team. So I'm really proud of him. I think it's awesome. Yeah, so do I. I, I really look forward to talking to him and the conversations about how he went on this journey. It truly is a great rags-to-riches story and a story based on perseverance. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. I look forward to seeing you when you're out here in Vegas at the track, and uh, we're excited to see you out west. Thanks for doing this again. Yeah, thanks, JT. Always good to talk to you. We'll do it again soon. Thank you, Danielle. Danielle Trotter. And I just got news about a half hour ago that I'll be interviewing the winner of the Daytona 500 in one hour. So I'll have that on my show tonight on SiriusXM. I'll have Michael McDowell on the show tonight, which I'm excited about. I always talk to the winner of the Daytona 500, and NASCAR delivered that for me. Thanks to Bobby who put the show together. Thanks to all of our guests. Thanks to all of our partners. we got a new excellent partner coming on board, which I'm excited about, a few of them, in the coming weeks. And we'd like to partner with you in Vegas because we're here to talk sports and Raiders and Golden Knights every day from noon to 2. Have a great night, everybody. You miss any portion of the show, it's on demand. LV Sports Network. Everything else is rolling. I'm off to Tahoe with the Vegas Golden Knights. We'll tweet out some good pictures and hopefully some good content from the snowy peaks of Lake Tahoe. Have a great week, everybody. Scott's on deck. Have a good night, everybody. All right? Take care.